Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Mortification of Spin. I'm Amy Burt. Happy to be talking with you today. And I'm here with my co-hosts, uh, Mr. Carl Truman, wearing Dr. his... Carl Dr. Truman, Carl yeah. Truman, I should say, wearing his red pants. Envy is a very ugly thing. Amy, Shocking when say. he walked in this morning Extremely in his red, red pants. And the thing is, these are not very like... Very early. Yeah, and they're not like... Bright mar- colors. Yeah, they're not maroon no, pants. Are, I mean, they are... They're the same color as car. They match my car. car they match my oh, car. I have not seen the You've new car. You've got a... Oh, he, oh, the new like, car. I asked him and Katrina, since they stayed with me last night, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, you want me to drive you guys? And they're like, no. That was, that was more to do with your driving. <laughs> car, I have to say. I've seen right, the way might, you drive. There might be a couple reasons. I remember Matt, Matt once said to me, I love her to bits, but she's a terrible driver. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be wrong. Uh, get, uh I don't drive when Matt and I are together because we fight really bad if I oh, drive. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can do... I'm a pastor. I do counseling. You know? <laughs> do you do driving? <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to get in the car with me. <laughs> and I'm also here with Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church. And I guess I should also say that uh, Carl is professor at Grove oh, City College. Yeah, he that is. is what I do for a living. That's what he uh-huh. does besides uh-huh. wear red pants and, yeah. and drive red sports cars. Uh-huh. But we are excited because today we are interviewing for the second time Rachel Green Miller, and um, we're very excited to have Rachel. She writes for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals on some of our blogs. She has a blog of her own, rachelgreenmiller.com, and she's just recently published her first book, Beyond Authority and Submission, Women and Men in Marriage, Church, and Society. Hi, Rachel. How you doing? Hi, Amy. I'm doing well, thanks. How are y'all? Doing well. And I, I mean, we interviewed you. We were just talking uh, before we went uh, live. We interviewed you, what, five years ago when uh, you were just beginning to think about writing this book, right? Yeah, on patriarchy. That's yeah, the on first patriarchy. Time I, yep. It was on a podcast. Yeah. yeah. So we were talking about patriarchy. And, and so how over these five years has, has your uh, critique research on patriarchy developed into uh, the way that you decided to approach it in this book? I think I spent probably about three years on research, honestly. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of reading, um, a lot of books, a lot of uh, websites, a lot of audio that I went through and and read and cataloged. And I have like 400 pages of quote notes that I refer to at times to find things. And it was in doing that that I saw the patterns that you see in my book, the things uh, the commonalities between the various teachings that are going on. And, you know, my, my background is in history. My, my degree is in history. Mm-hmm. And it was reading the, the these writings, uh, not just patriarchy, but, you know, more generally conservative Christian writings on men and women, that uh, it reminded me a lot of what I had read in school uh, in classes from the Greeks and the Romans and from the Victorians and that. And it was that kind of combination of ideas mm-hmm. that led to my book, which so... Um, you know, what I was reading, what it reminded me of, where these ideas came from, and how to address those um, extra biblical and unbiblical ideas uh, compared to what the scripture teaches about women and men in marriage society. Yeah. And so, one thing, and I've experienced this in my writing as well, when you are offering some 
pushback, you know, even within your own circles, hopefully for a conversation, discussion, sharpening. Um, one thing that we've encountered a lot is um, having to say what we're not saying. <laughs> yes. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Yes. yes. So what is it that you're not saying? Like, are you saying that you are against authority in the church or any kind of authority given to anyone or, or any kind of submission at all? No, um, what I am not saying, I am not saying that we should tear down all of what the scripture teaches about women and men, about marriage, about church, about um, leadership and ordination. Um, I affirm all of what the scripture teaches on men and women made equally in the image of God, equal in Christ, but different men and women in marriage, that husbands should be uh, servant leaders in the home, that Wives should uh, submit to that leadership, that in the church, the or, the elders, the uh, ordained leaders should be uh, qualified men, men that fit the qualifications in scripture. You know, I'm not pushing back on any of that. And I think those are all very important things and they are the foundation of what I believe. And But beyond that, outside of those, those guidelines, I think there is quite a bit that can be legitimately critiqued as having been added on to scripture. Rachel, as I was uh, reading your book and I was marking things, I'm, I've been reading it on a, on a PDF. I was sent marking things that mm-hmm. I've, I found really helpful. Um, some some of them, again, just affirming what evangelicals have affirmed forever. And of course, we all know the um, the problems with a lot of uh, social media drive-bys will assume uh, certain things, either from the title of a book or that sort of thing, and, and make some kind of grossly unfair uh, critiques. And of course, you know, we do our best to to ignore uh, those those sorts of things. I found the way that you explained uh, early on, kind of going through step by step, what what you just affirmed quickly here. I found that to be very helpful, and I would hope that uh, those who would um, kind of blindly critique would actually take the time to see what it is that you're affirming. Uh, even when I found points that I would quibble with, I, I, I found no foundational or fundamental disagreements. Um, and I was put in a position, which I find typically very helpful, um, to have to go back through and uh, think through some of the things and try to differentiate. Okay, now, have I believed this because I assumed it? Have mm-hmm. I believed this because I was always taught it but never heard an alternative? And and I found that to be helpful, quite helpful, actually, um, as well. I think one of the things I appreciated is that when you are critiquing in this book, when you're critiquing certain teachings that have become traditional but aren't necessarily directly biblical, um, mm-hmm. I, I think you do a really good job of not ever being um, unfair in the way that you present the idea that you're differing from. And so even those who who might assume that they're going to read your book and disagree with everything that's there, I think that they're going to be surprised how much they agree with and at how fairly I think you, you represent their views. And so first of all, I, I think you did that really well, um, which is always helpful in a debate. One area where I'm sure people are going to challenge you, and I, I go back and forth on this issue, so I'm, I'm, I'm hardly coming at it from, from someone who's really made up my mind, is, you know, the whole issue on, on the curse on Eve and, and you know, the, uh, you know, you're just, you're going to want to usurp your husband's authority, that that's, that that's what's being said. And that's, for most conservative evangelicals, 
that's how we understand that passage in in Genesis 3 that part of the curse upon Eve is that she's going to envy her husband's authority and seek to usurp that you challenge that idea I wonder if you would unpack that a little bit sure uh thank you for what you said about being fair I I really did try to be as even-handed as I could be in in presenting the the views that I critique and Mm -hmm. so I I appreciate that it came across that way Mm -hmm. as for the curse in Genesis 3 16 um there's several reasons why I think that the current uh, prevalent teaching or understanding of Genesis 3.16 is uh, inadequate and it's unhelpful in, in understanding uh, women and marriage. And I guess most of it has to do with, um, with extremes. It is mm-hmm. by taking essentially one aspect of how the curse might affect uh, the marriage relationship and making it the point that the verse is making and making it um, descriptive of all women in all relationships mm-hmm. with all men ever, yeah. right? I think that that extreme is is very hurtful mm-hmm. for men and women, and I think that it damages marriages, and um, especially in the church, it damages women being able to speak because then right. we are always under suspicion of trying to usurp, right? right. When, even when we're clearly not doing that, we're mm-hmm. trying to be respectful and appropriate in, in the leadership structures. Right. Um, I am always suspicious of theology that is new. And so the fact that this particular interpretation came out of um, the 1970s and it was particularly done is in response to the feminism mm-hmm. of the second wave feminists, um, that because it was so such a, a novel idea right. that it's concerning to me that we jump on it and say, well, yes, obviously this is what scripture has been teaching. We missed it all those other years beforehand. I don't like any theology that does that. Right. right? That's, that's suspicious. I think that when you consider the verses in Genesis three and the curse, um, several things are going on. You see that Adam is told that work, which was good is now going to be frustrated. And he's, God tells him that in the curse, and it's going to be hard. And then Eve is told that, childbearing is now going to be uh, painful and you know if, if we understand the verse well more frequent that there's there's more the pain is increasing the the frequency is increasing this is what her her work is being frustrated as mm-hmm. well in this way and i think that the natural reading of the passage there is that despite these things she is going to desire a husband and he is going to rule over her mm-hmm. right that her relationship with her husband is going to be frustrated. Yeah. Does that mean that there will be power struggles in marriage? There probably will be. Mm-hmm. Yes, that husbands will try to rule their wives, wives will try to rule their husbands. Just like every relationship. In any relationship, mm-hmm. you have these struggles. I don't think that is the the main or dominant understanding of what desire means. Mm-hmm. That her desire is more general, that she will still want a husband despite the pain. She'll still love a husband and want to be married despite the fact that her husband, not scripturally, but Historically, across time and across cultures, husbands have had much more power over women. You know, so descriptively, what's going to happen in history that men may abuse their the power that they have over women. Right, that these things are going to happen. She's still going to want to be married and have a family. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see that with women today in mo- most cultures, women want to be married. They want to be have families, even though there are difficulties in marriage, or there can be. I just think that it is 
unnecessary to take to reinterpret desire strictly to mean that she will want to usurp her husband. Right, right. And and I think it in in your reading of and it's not just your reading of that text. I mean, obviously you can find a history of biblical commentary that agrees mm-hmm. with the position that you're taking there. None of that undermines the fact that in any relationship because we're sinners, there's going to be struggles for power, ungodly desires for power coming from men and women, husbands and wives. Certainly, yeah, but that, that verse, but, but, of relationships. Yeah, yeah, and and that doesn't change if we embrace the fact that that's not exactly what Genesis three sixteen is saying. Yeah, and of course, beyond that, because we are believers and we live after the New Testament era, we we should have our relationships determined more by our being brothers and sisters in Christ and through Ephesians of husbands loving their wives Mm -hmm. uh, sacrificially and wives uh, submitting to their husbands as Christ, as the church does to Christ, that that should determine much more how we deal with each other than um, what desire may or may not mean. Right. Yeah. That's far uh, better and more appropriate to the Christian than to, to view each other, particularly in the husband and wife relationship uh, with an automatic suspicion. Correct. Yeah. Rachel, I, I particularly enjoy the historical sections of the book. Um, you're a trained historian, and, and of course, I, I teach history myself. That's basically where I work. One of the great texts, perhaps one of the most important philosophical and political texts of the 20th century, I think, is Simone de Beauvoir's The Second mm-hmm. Sex. Uh, and she mm-hmm. begins part two of that with that famous statement, one is not born, but rather becomes woman, uh, setting up the the separation between sex and gender that that now grips the the popular imagination. One of my big concerns about, and I think you share this concern, one of my big concerns about Christian response to feminism is that we allow category mistakes of the feminists to shape and inform our responses. You've already sort of alluded to that when you said, you know, this reading emerged uh, in the early 1970s or 80s over against uh, particular second wave feminism readings. I wonder if you could talk uh, more broadly about how you think the, the excesses, if you like, of second and perhaps third wave feminism have led to excesses on our side in in response to or reaction to those those things um i make the point in in those chapters and that history moves back and forth like a pendulum that there there are reactions and reactions to the reaction we go back and forth and you know the hegelian from that perspective (laughs) (laughs) you have the victorians and then in response to the victorians you get the first wave feminists and you know things kind of swing back after the wars and then you have second wave feminism and then you have the Christian response to second wave feminism. And it is very much reactive all around. And I think what you see as the conservative Christians began to respond in the eighties, particularly, and then more uh, continuing the second wave feminist movement was, was hijacked, if you will, by the sexual revolution, by abortion, by, by these these streams of thought that that weren't inherent in original original feminists but there was a lot of push there were you know the the famous quote that women need men like fish need a bicycle right that that men are useless and and that's not helpful thought either it's it's it was an overreaction to to things that had gone on about men in power that was unhelpful unnecessary and then 
tying women to abortion so that when you talk about women and women's rights now, it almost exclusively means abortion and reproductive issues, that it makes women, that that this is the one thing that women have to care about, that we're supposed to be about abortion. And it discounts all the women, even current women who would stand up and say, no, you know, I'm I'm pro-life. Um, but I do care about women who are being mistreated in other ways. And you know, we don't have a voice within the women's movements, if you will, now, um, because we won't, we won't embrace abortion. And so, yeah, the conservative response saw these things happening and they wanted to return to more culturally conservative ways, uh, the nuclear family, men and women knowing their place and what it means to be or meant to be a man or a woman according to these these structures. And my concern, though, is that instead of looking at what was being done with second wave feminism and beyond, instead of looking at that and going to scripture and saying, okay, scripture says that abortion is wrong, scripture says that we should treat each other well, you know, these, these things that we could have drawn from in response, they went back to an earlier cultural ideal and embrace that as, well, this is what the Bible is talking about. You know, women should stay at home, men should go to work, uh, women should be feminine in these ways, men should be masculine in these ways. And by going to that, those definitions, instead of being going back and being rooted in, in, in Scripture for what they were saying, they've left themselves open to the extremes and the, the movements that are going on now, so that when the transgender movement says, well, you know, I was born biologically a man, but I feel like I'm a woman, and my mannerisms are feminine, and I like feminine things, therefore, I really am a woman, uh, because I can become a woman. The arguments, and I know Amy has made this point, um, the arguments become very similar while they're making very different arguments, they're using very similar ways of thinking about men and women and about how you, instead of being, you, you are male or female, you become masculine or feminine, you become male or female. And uh, I think that because they didn't, the conservative Christian response didn't root more strongly in scripture, they've left themselves open to this confusion and this, uh, these category errors that become even harder to fight because of how we have fought them in the past. In going beyond authority and submission, throughout the book, you uphold, um, you know, if we get beyond merely reducing the relationship between men and women to authority and submission in our, in our very natures, um, you uphold unity, interdependence, and service mm-hmm. in relationships between men and women. So what I wanted to ask you is, you know, what difference does it make uh, these these three in these three areas in the church and in the home and in society maybe just give a, a little overall picture of that and then um, also and I don't understand how that's a threat to conservative Christianity then well um, I don't think it should be right. honestly um, the reason I you know I say beyond authority and submissions and I start out at the beginning of the book talking about authority and submission in in the proper uh, God-given sense of of good things and in in our relationships, I'm, I'm not denying that there are authority and submission as aspects of relationships. But mm-hmm. 
when you make that, as you said, the the focus of all relationships, all interactions between women and men, it limits and impacts how women and men can work together. So in marriage, if it's all about authority and submission, then you know you, you have a constant power struggle and questions like, you know, if you when you go out, is it is it proper for the wife to drive the car or should her husband always drive because it shows that he's the leader or mm-hmm. um or maybe the wife's just a bad driver. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) but it gets you into everything is about who's in charge right Mm -hmm. and and the same thing happens in the church it's all about who can do what and the question is rarely what man can do what the question is what's appropriate for women to do and and in society it leads you to the questions of what kinds of jobs you know can a woman be a police officer can a woman be a a drill sergeant you know Mm -hmm. Is it appropriate? Can a man, should a man be a stay-at-home dad? You know, these questions come about because everything's about, are we doing this the right way? And is there, are all the right people in charge? And you know, what's what's so challenging about that is that that kind of preoccupation is poison for any relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I tried to function that way uh, with uh, the, the the other pastors I serve with, on my church staff, it would be poison in our relationship. Um, Certainly. We, we wouldn't be able to, I mean, it would break down trust. Um, uh, yeah, there'd be all kinds of problems uh, imported Growth, in. Sure. Exactly. It would, it would be terrible. And so, and that's, you know, as, as someone who is a, a conservative, when I see guys, I'm, I won't name the, the famous guys, but, but in those various camps, I see this preoccupation with, with just exactly what you're identifying there. And one of my first thoughts is, goodness, you know, I, I couldn't operate that li- like that with, with fellow men. Um, it, it would just turn the relationships I- into something very suspicious. And, and I just don't have the emotional energy to worry that much about it all the time. Good grief. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, that is the issue is that everything becomes about who you can trust right. and whether or not, people are doing the right things and who's, who's trying to take over. And it, it is, it becomes very focused on power and who's in power. And, you know, I think, and I say this in the book that the, the ultimate question of who's in charge is God, God's in charge. Mm-hmm. And we're not in that sense. And, you know, beyond that, beyond the, the aspects of relationships that, that are, um, that have authority and submission aspects to them uh, beyond those Scripture has the themes like Amy was asked, was mentioning that um, the unity, interdependence, and service that are are much more focused on in Scripture than discussions about who's in charge. And you know, we we are united in Christ. We are um, one body. We are interdependent. We need each other, and we are called to serve each other. And you know, that goes in every relationship, in all aspects of our life, those three themes apply. And when we focus on those themes in, in marriage, we can see each other as um, as our, our companion, as our co-laborers, that we are working together on the, for the same goals. It means that we each sacrifice of ourselves to take care of the other um, in service and in love. And uh, we, our, our gifts are important, and this is true in the church as well, that we're, we're there not to, to put ourselves into power, but to serve each other. 
to use our gifts as God has has blessed us. I mean, this is in society as well, that men and women, we have gifts that we need, that God has given us, that are a blessing to others. And when we remember that God has made us to be united, interdependent, and to serve each other, then we really can be co-laborers in life and for the gospel. And we can bless um, our marriages, our churches, our society through this love and service for each other. My guess, Rachel, is you're going to get some pretty fierce pushback uh, from the usual suspects. Should we call mm-hmm. them that? Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you expect to get hit hardest by by the usual suspects on this? Certainly there is a category of, of criticism and pushback that it won't matter what I say or what I've said, um, they will say that I'm saying something else. And right. so on that, on that group, it'll come from everything. You know, I've, I've misunderstood everything. I'm turning things upside down. I'm a feminist. I'm an egalitarian, whatever they want to say. It, those are the, the charges. Um, the aspects and the places where I expect to get the most pushback. Um, I have a feeling that people will not be pleased that I don't, make hard line definitions of masculinity and femininity that while I give it biologically, you know, obviously male and female, um, and I don't believe in any, in any gender confusion in those. I think that there is a lot more similarity in our personalities as men and women than the strict definitions of, well, every man is leader, provider, protector by being, by virtue of being a man. And every woman is, you know, submissive and soft and gentle by virtue of being a woman. I don't think those are helpful to be so so limiting. Um, I, so I have a feeling there will be there'll be pushback there. As far as I know, I've I've already heard people concerned that when I say that a wife's submission is voluntary, that that's not that's not proper. It shouldn't be voluntary because God tells her to do it, so it's not voluntary. And I think that's a, an unfortunate misunderstanding of what I'm saying. Mm. You know, as a wife, when I married my husband, I wasn't assigned a husband. This is the man that I chose that we we decided to get married together. And so I did and I do voluntarily submit to him versus other men. Mm-hmm. Right. And as as a Christian, while yes, I have been told to do these things, it is still voluntary on my part in that I choose to obey. And you know, I think that's true of all of us for our obedience, mm-hmm. that our obedience is voluntary. God doesn't override override us, and we, we're not puppets. Right? We, he does make us willing to obey and want to obey, but it is a choice to obey. Mm-hmm. So I think voluntary is the right word there. Outside of that, I'm sure that there will be um, concerns about um, what I say about women in the church and about the need to incorporate women um, in the life of the church, even though I'm not arguing in any way for ordination or for pushing the envelope there, I'm sure that there will be pushback. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my impression, Rachel, having read the book. I think those are the areas where you're likely to get get some heat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would urge anybody who's reading the book to actually read the book. Mm -hmm. And let me just say, just not to interrupt you, Carl, but I'm interrupting you. You are interrupting me. Um, uh, I I can tell you as, you know, being in in the PCA where, We've got some controversy over who who should hold office and that kind of thing. There's nothing in Rachel's book that advocates 
uh, for a position that would make the the progressive guys in the PCA happy. <laughs> you know, that's part of the irony of where you're taking some of this criticism is that there's nothing you advocate about uh, office holding in the church and leadership in the church that would give comfort to those who want to change the book of church order for the PCA. No, not at all. So I that's an, be that, very careful. Yeah, that's an irony that makes me kind of scratch my head. Yeah. Well, it's been great to talk to you again, Rachel. I uh, hope to have you back again at some point in the future. Uh, we want to recommend Rachel's new book, Beyond Authority and Submission, Women and Men in Marriage, Church and Society. It's published by Presbyterian Reformed, or I think P&R, P&R as they yeah. now like to be referred to. <laughs> yeah, they dropped the Reformed just at the moment when Reformed became trendy. I remember, so great <laughs> well, that was kind of a good thing about them. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's, it will be superbly marketed, I'm sure, by P&R. Uh, but if you would like a chance to win a free copy, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you can uh, have a chance to enter a draw for a free copy of Rachel's book. While you're there, remember, we're a viewer, sorry, listener-supported podcast. Uh, And if you feel uh, led to make a donation, please do not hesitate to do so. Uh, In the meantime, all that remains is for me to uh, thank Rachel for joining us. Thank you for listening and thank my co-hosts for... Co-hosting. Co-hosting. Yes, that's a good good, good way to express it. I'm here to help. uh, Hope to be with you all next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. I've lived in Virginia for six years, and we started before then. Yeah, we started when I still lived in Philadelphia. Right. That's before we added the, uh, the yeah. kryptonite. So it's been, it, it's <laughs> got to be, it, it's got to be at least seven years. At least, yeah. And we'd been doing it for a year or two before Amy Well, a year, on. or close to a year. 2013, I guess. Close to a year. that's when my first book was published. That's when okay. I started. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't think it was, I don't think it was a full year when, when we asked Amy to. Yeah. They were great, those early podcasts. Oh, man, so, so six good. six years ago. Nothing best. hysterical ever happened, no. Amy. If you are too close <laughs> to me when you use that word, you just watch out for sure. <laughs>
It's the second or third time today, Rachel. I just like to I just like to see Amy control that kickboxing urge in her to kind of bring that under control. We didn't need a makeup artist either before we did it. Exactly. Exactly.